Hello everybody, good to be with you. So today I wanna to talk to you about something that goes beyond the usual scope of this teaching, of my videos, I should say, which is that my, my videos normally talk about uh, awakening or they talk about uh, the post-awakening process that I call clearing. Today, we're gonna to talk about something that bridges both of that, all of that, plus pre-sleeping. Um, the the pre-awakening period, not just awakening itself, but the pre-awakening period. What I want to talk about is embodiment. And embodiment is has already started over there. You wouldn't be watching this video. You never chose to be a seeker. I never chose to be a seeker. Nobody chooses to be a seeker, even though it may feel like for just some people that they chose to be a seeker. That's going to be a precious few, and it's not going to be true in any case. Because the truth is that spiritual seeking chooses you. I can tell you that I had no interest whatsoever in enlightenment. I was looking for a lot of money and the prettiest girls I could find. That's what I, my interests were. And, and, and as shallow as that is, as embarrassing as that might be, that's, that's the truth. And that's just, that's, I mean, I wasn't too worried about you know, I never could get all that worried about the environment because um, because I was just mostly concerned about my environment. I didn't care about your environment. I couldn't um, get concerned about uh, war and peace too much because uh, I was not a soldier. So I was not under direct threat. Now, if war and peace had concerned my bank account directly, then you can bet I would have been all up in arms on one side or the other. But being as self-centered as I was, that was not the, that, that it was not the case. So my, my thing was self-centeredness until I became a spiritual seeker. It was 100%, and when I became a spiritual seeker, it moved the dial all the way to 99%. Whereas 99% interested in me and 1% interested in what we would today call truth or non-dual truth. I just, <clears throat> I got caught completely by surprise because mine was a, was a, was, was like a, um, was a pretty dramatic beginning which was when I was in a mental hospital and um, the boys came to me and said, you should study Zen. I wasn't really sure exactly what Zen was, but I was game because uh, I was in that mental institution for the second time, which means that I was on a very poor path, life path, and I wanted to improve my life path. See, once again, it was all about me. I didn't care about, you know, the goody two-shoes or anything like that. <clears throat> what can Zen do for Fred? That's what I was interested in. But at some point, as the dial began to move from 98 to 97 to 96, probably at about 95 when I met, met Betsy. And it immediately moved to maybe 90 because a percentage of me just was just nuts over Betsy from the first time I ever saw her. And I, I heard her speak in an AA meeting about how she spent her Saturday mornings at that time. And I thought, there it is. There's my life. That's exactly what I want. I'm, that's the woman for me. And 
uh, <clears throat> I had to wait a little while because I wanted to be completely sober because I knew that any woman uh, that would have a drunk like me at that stage was not somebody I needed to be messing with. So I just waited out. And um, when I got to be about 18 months sober, then I, I, I asked her out. And so <clears throat> we've been together ever, ever, ever since. So <clears throat> that was just prior to 9-11, which is, actually we went out and she didn't care for me. And uh, I mean, she, you know, sort of, but not really. So she was just afraid of a relationship. And so she canceled it. And then 9-11 happened and she called me that same night and said, life's too short, let's go out. And I said, great. So I may be the only clear winner you'll ever meet uh, uh, from 9-11. You know, it's not much of a silver lining, but there it is. So our relationship started out very, very good, but most relationships do, don't they? I mean, our relationship was, we had, you know, a, <clears throat> a hot thing going on when we first met and or not long after we first met. And, um, and we had a simultaneous, we had a very warm thing. We liked each other. Uh, we had a lot in common and we were from the same middle-class tribe. Um, and <clears throat> the, well, the same with, with, with a lot of the, grew up with a lot of the same values, even though we had rejected some of them, we noticed we were taking now picking some of them back up. And, um, we, and as we began to date and we got closer, then it really didn't take me long to just throw in the towel. And, and I can tell you that first autumn, we got together in September 11th, this would have been sometime in October, November, and she and I, probably November, we went to the mountains and uh, for a weekend. And, <clears throat> and I remember holding her and I was hugging her, we were standing up, I was hugging her, and we were outside, and the voice popped in my head, and it said, I mean, just clear as a bell, like there was somebody there, and said, uh, don't try to change this one. Because that's what I'd always done, I always try to change women to suit my, my fantasies, really, you know? I mean, all of them, just any you know, sexual fantasies, any other kind of fantasy that I had um, going on. Just, you know, the, I wanted to just mold them into to being an uh, you know like a, a like a piece of jewelry for Fredness, and whatever it was, I had always done that, and uh, I thought that was just the way it was done. And now here was a voice telling me not to do that. And when it told me to do that, strangely there came a reply, or almost a reply. It was a, it was another second voice. It wasn't a reply from me. It was a second voice. Wasn't the same voice. And it said, don't try, don't ever try to upgrade. Because that also was a habit that I had always had. Was don't try to upgrade. Because I had been, I had basically been an upgrader from the time that I could walk. I was always looking to upgrade Fred's circumstances. And part of that was I was always looking to upgrade Fred's girlfriends and Fred's wives. And <clears throat> what I would um, typically do would be to get myself in a, in a, in a situation with two or three women and <clears throat> make an ass out of myself and lose them all. 
but then you just start over again, right? I mean, no problem. You just start over again. And so that, and that's what I would do. And it was just circular as any other pattern in my life until I met Betsy. Until and when I met, met Betsy, I got that strong message. Number one, don't try to change her. And number two, from the gallery, um, don't try to upgrade. And that's the way it's been. I consider myself extraordinarily fortunate. And far as I'm concerned, I won the wife lottery. I really did. Now, oddly enough, strangely enough, as some of you might think, um, Betsy has um, feels the same way. Like she won the husband lottery, and I know it's hard to believe, but I, she's not all there, I guess. <laughs> but what's there is there. I do like a lot, and I love a lot. So our relationship is pretty extraordinary. We have not had, we have not raised our voices at each other. I actually can't remember the last time we did it. I would, I would guess it was in that first year or two, something like that, when there was still, you know, <laughs> the thing, some, some learning to do about each other. And, and I was still very unskillful at that point. Uh, Betsy had been sober three years longer than I had, and I was still just an old cob, and rough as an old cob, and, and um, just not well suited to dealing with uh, humanity. <laughs> but I wanted to be good at dealing with Betsy. So I was at least open to change, right? And Betsy didn't have to do much changing, <clears throat> All she had to do was learn to accept this, and that, and that would be a remarkable change <laughs> for anybody, and, um, and particularly for Betsy, because she was just the most generous person that I had ever met, the nicest person I had ever met, I mean, really and truly. And I thought this before I ever went out with her, I just thought, but, but after I started going out with her, the, I remember sitting on my porch and seeing her in her drive in my driveway, backing up in her car, and me thinking, "That's absolutely the kindest person that I have ever met." She is the because it, 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 she was, if nothing else, she was just incredibly kind, and I needed some kindness at that time because <clears throat> I didn't have much anything else. You know, I was living in an apartment in the hood and I had just beat up old used furniture and hell, I didn't even have a kitchen knife till get Betsy gave me one. I remember I was so thrilled the because uh, I think I had a fillet knife or something like that from fishing in the kitchen. That's all I had, right? And that was you using what, what, whatever I had. And um, as she came to spend time with me, she began to, uh, among other things, she began to outfit me for a new life. And I mean, Betsy was not well to do. Betsy was broke too, but she had an attic that just wouldn't quit. And so she would bring me the, the, uh, the has been furniture and the has been housewares and stuff like that. And it really touched me deeply. It touched me like nothing else had ever touched. Um, I will confess that, it, at, at, that initially I thought, wow, 
what a nice guy I must be in order for this woman to bring me all this cool stuff, this attractive woman, to bring me all this cool stuff. And uh, it took me a little while to recognize that actually it was just the opposite. See, it was, I wasn't the good one, she was, right? I wasn't the cool one, she was. And that it really just took a very good and cool and kind person to look after, uh, you know, a uh, nothing old drunk like me. And I'm not trying to downplay myself, beat myself up. I mean, you don't know me. You don't know me that well now, but you sure cannot fathom me 17 years ago. Yeah, you would, it's unrecognizable. I mean, I was still involved in, in spirituality and all of that, but it just hadn't much of it rubbed off. Hadn't been much in the way of embodiment. And Betsy helped bring about that embodiment. And what I want to tell you is I want to outline a little bit about the way that we are. Because I want you to be so lucky as to end up in the position that we're in. I stated earlier that Betsy does not need to change one iota for me. I've never asked Betsy to change. Never. I just, it's not something I would even think to do. Betsy has never asked me to change. It would not occur to her either. I mean, she might ask me to change my haircut. She might ask me to change my shirt because Betsy has a very particular uh, artistic sense of uh, balance and beauty. But which means she's had her, her work cut out for her. But she never fundamentally asked me to change, even when I needed to change vastly. She liked what she found, I liked what I found, and we began to accept each other unconditionally. I know that sounds weird, but it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't from the, the very beginning, it certainly wasn't unconditional but it became unconditional. And she showed me what unconditional meant when I was arrested, right? Because she was right there, came in right behind me and uh, helped me clear up that mess to the best that it could be cleared up. It was a damn real mess. Um, but I began to understand that it was that I didn't understand it was a perfect world yet. I really didn't. I mean, I was reading that kind of stuff, but it didn't mean anything to me. But I did understand that she was the perfect woman. I came to see that very, very early. And what I thought, man, what I mean by that really is that she was the she was the perfect woman for me for this, right? I'm just going to speak in relative terms most of the time today. I'm just not going to go into the from she thought this thing that whatever it is that's over here was perfect or whatever she was in love with a fred right i mean just hard as it might be to grab and i was in love with the ideal woman and i pursued that ideal woman and i found out what unconditional love was too because in 2004 <clears throat> I, no, excuse me, in 2003, I quit smoking. Two years after I met Betsy, I quit smoking. 
which was the most incredible thing that I have. And I mean, I quit drinking and drugging and gambling and all that. And it was very, very difficult. Smoking had always seemed to me to actually be impossible, but funny what love will do. And for the, probably the first time in my life, I was gifted with some real uh, uh, foresight. And what I could see was that although this thing was not, smoking was not a big, not a problem really in our relationship at all, that it was gonna be. Is that because there was no indication that we were gonna split up. There was no indication that either one of us wanted to. And it had to come up at some time because it's just too big a damn thing, right? And, um, and I'm asking her to, you know, come and stay in my house and breathe my secondhand smoke and I hope you don't get cancer, but if you do, that's that. I mean, that's the way I looked at it, right? And so I actually quit smoking and I had friends of mine in Portland who understood that I had finally quit drinking, understood that I had quit gambling, uh, who understood that I had even quit running around, but they could not believe that I had quit smoking. But I had, I mean, I was a, such a dedicated smoker that my word was always that this damn breathing is interfering with my smoking. <laughs> that's a committed smoker and that's the way I was. But I gave that up for fear. Now it didn't it hadn't even happened, but for fear that it would come between Betsy and I. And Betsy was so perfect in the way that she had always handled that. Because she always said, you know, you just don't look like a smoker to me. She never asked me to quit smoking. She never said I should quit smoking. She didn't put herself up in that push me, pull you kind of situation. What she always did was she'd just look at me, but over and over again, right? Now, I mean, not, not over and over again every day, but very frequently she would say something about it would come up and she'd say, you just don't look like a smoker to me. I don't think you're always going to smoke. That was the other thing she said. I don't think you're always going to smoke. And I was just like, man, you better get over it because <laughs> a lot of women have come and gone, but, you know, but Marlboro's are here to stay. And, um, but, you know, I can be surprised. There's, there's my plan and there's the plan. And I noticed that the two sometimes meet, but rarely. And that I noticed that I'm not in charge of uh, the plan. I'm not even in charge of the Fred plan. Just feels like it. <laughs> Respect is the number one thing in our relationship. I totally respect Betsy Hackett Davis, completely. I mean, she just, she's, she's marvelously accomplished and she is just a whiz at anything she puts her mind to. She is, a, you know, she, she's five out of Kappa. I mean, she's pretty smart pretty smart cookie. And her dad said the other day, and his, on his deathbed, he said, you know, Brett's a pretty smart fox. And, uh, but, which, which is, would, would be about right that he would notice the smart fox here instead of being uh, uh, about his own daughter. But, you know, he, he said kind of things about her too. <sighs> In off moments. <laughs> So 
respect is the is well, actually the 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 great underpinning of our relationship really is gratitude, because neither one of us you know deserve anything other than death by alcoholism. That's what we were headed for. That's what we. That, and when I say deserve, I'm just saying the way that it would look if you were to look at the the life progress. It's not a matter of there's no one here to deserve or not deserve anything. It doesn't work like that. But if you were to look at that life pattern, you would see that this thing, this unit had not earned, you know, any great place in society. It had earned a spot in a homeless shelter, not a spot in jail. And, um, and a, you know, a spot sleeping under the stars, and that's what it found. Until it didn't, right? Until the suffering became so great, because always remember that suffering really is our friend. People write me about this all the time because they know my story. And the, had it not been for suffering, I'd still be the same creep I was. Had it not been for, for suffering, I would never have gotten sober. My alcoholism was also the worst thing that ever happened to me, but until it became the best thing that ever happened to me, because it's the thing that caused so much suffering that I actually gave it up and it began to open me up to other things. Alcoholism made me surrender to alcohol, but it made me surrender to everything else just yet. <clears throat> but it opened the door to, to to actually accepting everything as it was, including this, which happened to be alcoholic through no fault of its own. It didn't ask to be alcoholic. It didn't stand in line to be alcoholic. It just, guess what? It just, you know, liquor doesn't affect me the way it does other people. The unit itself, in my opinion, the unit itself is alcoholic. And by understanding that, I realize that no matter what kind of bright idea I get, this unit can never successfully drink. So it's very easy, it's not a problem to not be able to drink alcohol successfully. The idea is just not to drink it. It only took me like 25 years to come to figure that out. I'm really quite a quick study. Um, <clears throat> I admire Betsy and that's, so the admiration and respect would like come very close to each other. And if, if what she says is any indication of truth, she admires me. We don't ask each other to change. And we are the, the number one thing, the, the thing of the, of the foremost importance in, in our relationship is our relationship. So that means I don't care about being right about stuff. I'm willing to have her be right. I don't need the last word on anything. She's welcome to have the last word on anything she wants. Because I will back down. And you know what? When I don't, she will. Because when we get, if we, there's no raised voices, we don't even argue. I mean, this is the thing that you've got to understand. We just simply do not argue. We have not argued in years. I mean, there might have been a quick, at some point like when we were moving or something where, where there was just things were crazy and we were out of pattern but but it would have just been off the cuff it wouldn't have been deep it wouldn't have been you know prodding or anything and then it would have been immediately apologized for almost very quickly we don't have anything to argue about because it's a perfect world now, we can't always see the perfection of the world from the vantage point of these units. 
but both of us can always see the perfection of the world from the standpoint of awakeness. Through the eyes of fredness, there are endless problems here. Through the eyes of God, it can't find a problem. Just can't find it. God can find no problem here, can't find anything broken, can't find anything unfinished. Everything is just ideal. It has to be seen from the larger point of view where you understand that even the awful stuff has to be here. Has to be here because this is relativity. The only thing I know, in fact, I just don't know me. The only thing I know that <clears throat> doesn't express yin yang pretty much in relativity is my relationship with Betsy. We don't have ups and downs. It's always up. We're always cheerful. I mean, virtually always. And 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 even in the face of awful stuff that has happened to us, because we have had a lot of awful stuff go through, come, come into these lives since, uh, since we met. You know, just terrible stuff, really. And stuff that, I mean, way terrible on anybody's scale, not just on, oh, just my scale, I'm the victim or anything. I was more of a perpetrator always than I ever will be a victim. So I'm not playing that card in the least bit. Um, I'm just saying that a lot of stuff has happened to these units since they got together, and a lot of stuff has happened to these units since awakening took place. But the gratitude that is the underpinning of all of it, that was very, very early because we couldn't believe we found each other in Columbia, South Carolina, because she didn't have any kids, I didn't have any kids. Uh, she, she listened to NPR, I listened to NPR. Uh, which is a big, you know, I mean, hell, we're in the reddest of the red states, just about. So, you know, that's a big deal to find um, somebody that of, of like mind. And I'm not saying we are the right mind. I'm just saying we are of like mind. So <clears throat> you should think like you should, like you think. See, that's incredible. I don't want you to change either. I want you to think just like you think until you don't because that's what you're supposed to be thinking until you don't. It is really and truly that simple. So, the gratitude that we had for our relationship, the gratitude that we had for being sober, but just being alive and, and, and not miserable, we actually could see very, we were poor. I mean, I was poor as a rat, and Betsy was pretty much poor too. And plus, she had credit card debt. I, I didn't have any credit card debt because I didn't have any credit cards, but nobody would give me one. <laughs> uh, just had a motorcycle back then, didn't even have a car. For two and a half years, I was sober. I didn't have a car. Almost, yeah. Might have been three years. I can't think. I don't know, two and a half, three years. It's a long time to be out there in the cold and rain. And, you know, I'm in South Carolina, but don't think it doesn't get cold here. Don't think it doesn't rain here because it rains a hell of a lot. See, but the conditions have always been secondary. It's not about the conditions, either here or there. Your conditions are not making you miserable. What you believe about your conditions is what's making you miserable. It's not what you, and it's not, it's not what, don't think your thoughts are killing you. 
because <clears throat> it's not your thoughts that are killing you. I can tell you because they're crazy thoughts that are still going over here and miserable thoughts that still fire over here too. I just don't pay any attention to them, right? So it's not your thoughts. It's the, not the thoughts you have. It's the thoughts you believe. What I believe <clears throat> is that you know, let's not get off on the soulmate thing, okay? I just, <laughs> I don't actually know anything about souls. But I'm going to tell you that <clears throat> on this planet, I really feel that I have married up considerably. I don't, I know that I've never done anything that would help me to deserve my wife. But I'm trying my best in the after, afterwards, now, to continue to, to continue to keep her, to continue to earn her. So either one of us will back down in an argument immediately. I mean, it just, just doesn't take, I'm going to say immediately. It might take two minutes. It might take 10 minutes, but it ain't going to take. It is, it is very rarely going to take 10 minutes. And I don't mean with a really an argument. I just mean that we've seen each other. We've seen things differently. I mean, there's the, the, there's the hint that there could be an argument, right? There's just been a something, a little, little bump. And there's a sense that that, that that little bump needs to be flattened out immediately. And so we'd go about doing that. <clears throat> and it and it shows. And it also, and I mentioned them earlier, it shows with our relationship with our dogs. Our dogs absolutely adore us. And we believe that they are the very best dogs in the world, even though you think your dog is. I happen to know you're wrong because my dog's the best one. Dogs are the best dogs in the world. They're the sweetest, funniest, warmest, most loving things ever. And you know what? It looks like they think the same thing about us. And the four of us get in that bed, it is, there's nothing better than that. Betsy and I will hold hands or each put a hand on whatever dog is available and, um, or maybe both of those things. <clears throat> we watch a video. Wow, fantastic, out of sight, incredible. And yeah, I mean, we go out to dinner and, and we sometimes we go out to a nice dinner. <clears throat> those are special things. We're always grateful for those special things, but we don't require them. We live in a nice house now, we don't require it. We drive nice cars, we don't, re we don't require it. I have nice clothes, I don't require them, she doesn't either. We had a little money in the bank now when we used to have none. We don't require it. We don't have much in the way of debt, which is great. We used to have lots of debt and not a lot of income. Now we've got more income than we used to have and less debt. That's a big deal. So that kind of that's that that's removing some of the pressure cookers. I will confess to you that sexuality has changed here. I mean, we're talking about relationship. Why the hell not bring it up? Uh, as I mentioned earlier, there was a very hot thing that went on here for some years. Uh, and then I really don't think it was age as much as I believe that there was 
just a changing in the relationship so that there is still inviting sexual tension here and all of that but we're not rabbits and we don't feel and, and and we're not expecting the other one to be a rabbit when the other one's not a rabbit i'm not asking that you know money and sex are the two things that usually knock relationships apart we have zero problem with either it means it, it, it that they're not the most important things in our relationship. Our relationship is the most important thing in our relationship. And when you keep that first, everything else will fall into line. You're just not going to go out and be a spendthrift if it, you know it's going to affect your relationship. If you have, if you really value your relationship first, and you're you're and you're not going to run around on each other, and you're not going to clam up on each other uh, sexually if that is, um, if, you, if your relationship is what comes first. You want what's bet right for bet both. You want what's best for both. You want to provide what the other person needs. And I am constantly looking for how can I, what, what can I do that's good for Betsy, that's totally unfred-like, but good for Betsy. You know, that I would have never done in my life, but it's good for Betsy. Never thought like this. I think like this every day now. And Betsy is constantly, you can't believe how well taken care of I am. It's just extraordinary. She goes, I mean, really, she makes my, my efforts look pitiful. Um, she, I, it, I mean, I, I couldn't, I, I don't think I could find a way out of the bedroom, much less in, around in my life without Betsy. This teaching just, <laughs> sucks me in so much that I have, I just, I mean, I, I've been trying to go to the foot doctor for months, right? Last time I, I overslept, you know, I mean, I woke up in time, but then I went back to sleep. So I overslept one appointment. This morning I had the, a, a, another appointment with the same foot doctor. This time I went, I got there on time and I forgot my damn wallet. So I didn't have my ID and, uh, or my insurance card and they wouldn't see me. So it's just, boom, right? So as Betsy told me this morning, you need a full-time minder. So we're going to work on her being a full-time minder, but not just yet, right? Not just yet. Um, I'm a, uh, <clears throat> right now I'm still doing splendidly, even though uh, we're having to rely somewhat on the, the limited skills here. Love who you're with. Respect who you're with like who you are with, admire who you are with, and let them know about all of these things constantly. Don't tell them I love you at Christmas or their birthday or your anniversary. I don't tell Betsy I love her more than 20 times a day. She doesn't tell me she loves me more than 20 times a day. I swear to God. And we will say we're lucky and kiss. We'll just tell each other we're lucky because we have, we are. All right, we're just so lucky. And you know, if you're sitting in, uh, there looking at this thing, you're lucky too, because you've been chosen to be an agent of awakeness revealing itself to itself. This is the highest mission that a human being can possibly have. It dwarfs anything else. And Betsy and I hold that 
right below our the the that our relationship is the most important things in our lives then operating as a whiteness is the second and really it's the they work together there's not a one and a two the two are the, really the same thing but that was working prior to either one of ours uh, the, the awakenings tell people don't make them guess show people don't just tell them don't just tell them tell them but don't just tell them show them be nice hey kindness Kindness, God Almighty. This is a very kind home. Everybody's kind to everybody else. We, you know, the name of this house, we've got a beautiful sign on the on the uh, front porch against the wall, which is <clears throat> Clarity House. We had, a, actually, I swear to God, we had a, a delivery guy um, who met us on the porch recently, and he said, and he said, so you're Clarity House? And I said, no. <laughs> he said, yeah. And he said, but it says Fred Davis. I said, I'm Fred Davis. He thought Clarity House, I swear to God, was a person. So anyway, he found out that it is, that Clarity House is a dream within a dream. It's a beautiful dream. It's a fabulous dream. It's, and we call it our home of peace because it is our home of peace. It is, I've had people come, in here and they, you can feel it immediately. I mean, it's holy. And I'm not saying it's holy because of me, because there ain't nothing here. I mean, there's no, it's not holy because of Fred, not even holy because of Betsy, who's certainly got to be, you know, more holy than I am. She's not the teacher you see, she's just a teacher behind the scenes. She's teaching this one. It's simple. There's nothing in the world but relationship because there's nothing in the world but one thing going on. So there is only relationship, right? There's only relationship. That's all there is. There's no this, that, this, that. There's no independent this, anything. There's only relationship. So open up to it. You'll find that embodiment will begin to flow through you much more rapidly. You're not awake yet, you'll wake up faster. That's, I mean, that would be my belief. I don't actually have numbers on that, but that just is the feeling I have. If you're already awake, I know you will clear up faster if you make a deliberate effort to do what I'm talking about. And who makes the deliberate effort? And just get out of the non-dual language for just a minute and just stick to relativity. Be a relatively nice person, how about that? And you'll find out that the world is relatively nice to you. I love you, come back, see you later, bye-bye.